Thank you, Roscoe. Good evening, church. Oh. Good evening, church. Uh, so good to be with you guys this evening. If you are here for the first time, I don't know who I am. I'm one of the pastors here at church. Uh, and we are in a series titled, Yo. And it's really to rekindle our awe in wonder. And I love that byline. Okay. Am I good now? And I love that byline because it is directing our focus at this time of year to really see God rightly in comparison to where we might be in the circumstances, season, and nature of our lives. Now, um, this evening, I want to speak about and unpack this idea of God's gentleness, kindness, and mercy that are never ending, that are never ending. So I've aptly titled this, this uh, message, Too Good to be True. Too good to be true. Come on, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are here right now, that you want to speak to us, that you want to shift our perspective, give us a different lens, give us a a different way of seeing you in the context of our lives. I pray that by your spirit, you begin to reveal a whole lot of stuff to us this evening. Open up our spiritual ears that we might see with our spiritual eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. I want to read from the book of Titus quickly, chapter 3. So there won't be any scriptures behind me, so apologies for that. Um, chapter 3, verse 3 to 6. It says this, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of our God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us to the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Having the hope of eternal life. There are, I don't know about you, but there are some portions of the word of God that we might read or I might read sometimes. And I just think this just sounds too good to be true. Because very often I'm trying to, I'm inserting myself in the narrative of the story or inserting myself into what this thing might be revealing. And like this just sounds like it doesn't apply to me because it's so far from what I think uh, I am doing or how well I think I am doing. Now I'm hoping that by the end of this message that that perspective shifts and that lens changes. There are a litany of stories in the Bible that depict this ideology of thinking that uh, this just sounds way too good to be true. People uh, in the history of the Bible thinking or seeing themselves in the context of God's character and nature and just being like, actually, I want to push against this thing because it doesn't sound like it applies to me. Now, I'm a person who absolutely loves movies, so I'm going to tell you a story from a movie and then tell you a story from the Bible that highlights this principle and this thought. If you can tell me what move this is, I'll be like, I'll be very impressed with you. So there's a, there are two individuals sitting across the table from one another. Obviously, most movies are about good and evil. One person's good, one person's bad. So uh, the good person says to the evil person, tells them the story about an orphan who'd been in the system. So the system being foster care, whatever the case might be, who then encounters this family, this mother and uh, father who adopt this orphan into their home. 
Now, this orphan was a violent individual who only served to, because of the nature of the system, just fight back and fight for himself and defend himself. And naturally, he's done some wrong things. So when this uh, family adopts him, they love him so well. He fights the owner and the owner's, I mean, not the owner. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> he fights the family, he fights the father. Whether he failed school, the father loves him. Whether he uh, fights his siblings, father loves him. Whether he mistreats the father, father loves him. So there's something within this, this orphan that was contesting with, there's no way this, this kind of love exists. There's no way this thing is true. So then he begins, he continues to push back at this thing until eventually he reaches the point where this, they're going to realize just how broken I am. And when they do, they'll leave me. This is the theory that this, the good person posits to the bad person. So the, this little orphan takes a gun one night and kills both, both of the parents, steals some stuff, and runs off. Because he believes so intently that I am unlovable. This just seems way too good to be true. Now, it might sound very far-fetched in the context of, oh my gosh, how could it go so far? But I'd like to submit to us that you and I aren't very different to that little orphan. But let's just take it a little bit closer to home. One of my favorite stories that depicts this idea is found in the book of Hosea. So Hosea is a man of God. I'll just tell the story real quick. He's a, he's a man of God. And God speaks to him and says, he's a prophet, and he says, go and find a prostitute and marry that prostitute. So Hosea finds Gomer, marries Gomer, and they essentially live what is a beautiful life together. Have three children. And then at some point, Hosea, I mean, Gomer just disappears, just leaves, goes back to the life that she was a part of goes back into prostitution, and uh, God says to Hosea, go find Gomer and buy her back. Essentially, go and renew her, your vows to her. Uh, go pay whatever price you need to pay to have her back. Now, technically speaking, Hosea, Hosea and Gomer were still legally married. So Hosea goes around hunting for his wife, and he finds her on the selling block at some point. And without any hesitation, he pays the price to buy back a, a person, an individual, that was essentially and technically already his. Now, the thing that I find quite fascinating about Hosea and Gomer's story is we've got to ask ourselves two questions. Why did Hosea and Gomer leave to begin with? If things were great, they were good, you've left what was, you found a sense of stability, a sense of goodness, a sense of beauty where you are. You find a family, you you have three kids, Nothing is going awry. Hosea isn't abusing you. What happens within yourself that causes you to leave? That's the first question we need to ask ourselves. And the second question is, we have to wonder what Goma might have felt. Now you've gone back to the life that you used to live. You've immersed yourself in that world. And maybe at some point you wrestle with, should I actually just go back to Hosea? Should I go back to the life that was just so good? But how can they begin to accept him because I am just so broken? I might as well just stay where I am. Thinking all of those things, and then you see your former husband standing across the, the way, paying that price, buying you back. What must she feel? What must she begin to navigate? I'm sure at some point she's thinking, this just seems too good to be true. See, for you and I, I think that we can relate to the story of Gomer because we relate to God based on how well we do. If we do good enough, then 
God is still good towards us. If we fail or fall short, then God must have turned his back on me, or God must think that maybe this person needs so much more work, and therefore we think that God's love is just too good to be true. His kindness is too good to be true. His gentleness is just too good to be true. So the only thing that I'll do is I'll begin to just push against him. Because this all just seems too good to be true. So like Goma, we begin to wrestle and fight and go back to our former lives. Look at Peter, for example. He denies Jesus three times and he goes back to what he once knew. You and I do that far more often than we might realize. But the problem with that is we relate to God based on how well we do. And that's no one's fault. Our lives, from the moment that you're born, is about performance. How well do you perform as a child? How well do you perform at school? How well do you perform at work? When you do good things, you get good results, and you get good things your way. If you don't do good things, then you will get the opposite of that. So we relate to our relationship with God based on how well do I perform. So when you come across scriptures that speak of God's character, speak of his goodness, speak of the fact that he is faithful even when you and I are not, this just sounds way too good to be true, so I'll gloss over it. I'm saved. My ticket to heaven is secured. So that's all I need to do. The rest of my life is then geared around how well I do at being a Christian here on earth. That is very secondary to the primary thing that you and I get to actually do first, and that is see God rightly. See God rightly. Because he is our starting point. You and I might begin to think about things that we are not good at, or we might think that we are not good enough, or we are ones that fall short, but here's what I'm here to tell you this evening, is that it might seem too good to be true, but he is that good. And if he is that good, it is that true. See, if you look at Hosea and and Gomer's story in the Bible, it's actually a picture of the gospel. He is a typological figure, which means he's a type of Jesus. Um, In the Old Testament, it it is a foreshadowing of the gospel. Jesus is our Hosea. You and I are Gomer. He went and paid the ultimate price for you and I. To buy back a creation that was already his. Just so that just so you and I can call ourselves sons and daughters of God. This is a uh, a picture, and this explains and depicts God's love for you and I. Everything really comes back full circle to God, even in the context of the gospel. John 3.16 tells us that for God so loved the world, God initiated. It is about Jesus, but we are reconciled back to God. So how you and I are meant to view this thing is through the lens of God's character, through the lens of God's goodness, through the lens of who he is towards us, because how you see him will dictate how you live your life here on earth. How you see him will depict and... uh, unravel your relationship with him. Romans tells us that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It is not your goodness. It's not your performance. It's not how well you do or how good you think of yourself. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I want to just revert back to the Titus scripture just to highlight how this all begins and ties back to God initially. 
It says that at one time we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Our former lives, in the same way that Goma was a prostitute in the whatever time that they were living in, our, we were once all people that fell short of the glory of God. All of us had sinned. The thing that we deserved was death. We were, we were meant to go to hell at some point when we died. But the story does not end there. See, it wasn't our good works that led us to find salvation. It wasn't how well we performed that led us to salvation. It wasn't our, how good we thought of ourselves that led us to salvation. It continues to say this, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared. So when God initiated this relationship with him, when God began the work, when God started your relationship with him, that's when the wheel begin, began to turn. His goodness, his gentleness, his kindness, his love towards you and I, which means that that doesn't change when we find salvation. It is still initially and first about his character. And from his character, from his goodness and kindness, we then find repentance. We then begin to change. It's not the other way around. But when the kindness and love of, our, of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, not because of how good you were, how good you'd been, how good you'd lived your life, how well you treated people. Most people would say stuff like, um, I'm a good person. I don't need God because I think I'm a good enough person. Or how, how wrong we are. But because of his mercy, he saved us to the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. I remember when I went to um, Western Zambia, and this idea of the gospel is such a foreign concept to them that the, if, if um, too good to be true was a facial expression, it was their facial expressions. They were just like, there's no way this actually is a legitimate thing. How can an individual die for my sins? He, how, he wasn't even around when I was around. He seemed so far off. I don't even, have a, I don't even know who this Jesus is. How can I trust that what you're saying is true? But when they began to navigate the journey of moving from witchcraft and um, witch doctors and all that kind of stuff to walking a journey of experiencing the gospel and hearing about the gospel, they're no different to Christ non-Christians here on earth now. Because if you had to tell a Christian, a non-Christian, sorry, um, about Jesus who came to die for their sins on the cross, it sounds far-fetched. It sounds like it makes no sense. There's no way that a person could die for everyone's sins once for all time. How do you begin to even comprehend that, especially if you view yourself as someone who is intrinsically good person, a good person? If I do good things, if I treat people well, why do I need Jesus? Or, bring it close to home, baptism. That's going to be one of the most, some of the most interesting conversations that I have with people. Why don't you want to get baptized? I don't think I'm ready. I need to get my life in order. 
I need to get myself right. If that were the case, then Jesus died for nothing. If you and I could save ourselves or make ourselves right, then Christ died for nothing. You could get saved now and baptized five seconds later. It's about understanding the thing that you're doing, but you can't work yourself or perform yourself to the point of feeling like, now I can get baptized. I'm not bashing anyone. It's your own journey. But it's not that complicated. It really is as simple as, I believe, and now I want the whole world to know and the spiritual realm to know that I am a son and a daughter of the Most High. Because it's his performance that God views you and I. Christ's performance that God views you and I. So our responsibility is no longer to perform. It is from his kindness, his mercy, his grace, his love, that we then begin to do good things as he transforms us from the inside out. Our good deeds don't transform our insides so that we look better to God. You already look pretty good where you are. Because of Jesus. So it means that the position that you and I need to take is I am just as broken as the person next to me and I need his help to change. Which means that we need to see God's goodness, gentleness, kindness, grace, mercy, love towards us as the primary source for the work that needs to happen within us. Not how good we do externally. There are people that I know of and have seen in church life that disqualify themselves. I'm not good enough to receive God's love. I am not worthy. Do you know what I did last night? But I'm here to tell you that God's gentleness, kindness, and mercy will chase you every single day of your life. No matter how far you run, no matter how deep you're in that sin, no matter how broken you think you are, this thing is designed for you. Jesus didn't tell the parable of leaving the 99 for the one just for the sake of tickling people's ears. It was a truth that is absolutely true and good. He's saying he'll leave the 99 for you. He was saying he'll turn his house upside down to find you. He's saying that when you return back to his house, he'll throw a party. Because he just wants you. Forget about the change that needs to happen. That's in his hands and not yours. But there are some of us that are here this evening that are pushing back against this idea that God loves you right where you are. His kindness is yours right where you are. His goodness is directed towards you right where you are. And from that place, he will change you. We push against the thing because we feel like we aren't good enough. We haven't done enough to deserve it. You never will. But Jesus did. What we deserve, we don't get. And what we don't deserve, he gave to us freely, which is himself. So we need to take off our glasses, friends. Wipe the dust off of those glasses, the perspectives that are incorrect, the viewpoints that aren't quite feeding your soul. And look again at your God. Because he is gentle, kind, merciful, 
loving, and all of who he is is directed towards you. It is from that place that you change. You don't work for it. We don't work for it. Lamentations 3 verse 22 to 26 says this. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope who's whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. When I read that portion of scripture, it really just sounds like immersing myself in who he is. If I get up and I begin to start this journey of looking a whole lot more like Jesus, here's the first thing I need to understand. It will not be perfect. I will stumble at some point. I will fall. I might get some things wrong. I won't get it right. I might not understand something perfectly the first time. But I get up not because I think that I'm good. I get up because I see my God as good. That his love still is directed towards me. His kindness is still directed towards me. His mercy is on you every single morning. Which means that even if it's difficult, even if I feel like I might not have the answers or know the way forward, I get up because of God, not because of me, not because I think that I have it all figured out. I probably never will. Which means that if my journey began with God and he's in the middle of it and it ends with him, which he has to be my source. He has to be the person I rest in. He has to be the person I lean on. He has to be the person I cry to. And as I allow myself to feel these things, step by step, moment by moment, I will begin to see change. I will look 10 years from now and see that 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 sin I was struggling with is no more. That battle I was fighting is no more. Not because I was good, but because he is good. And because of his kindness towards me, it's led me to repentance. It's led me to a changed perspective. It's led me to a changed life. It's led me to look a whole lot more like Jesus because of him. Friends, we need to rekindle our awe in one day and how we see our God. Because it is all about him. We have the privilege of being a part of the story. Psalm 136 verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And I'm not saying this thing like it's an easy thing to do. Trust me, I understand. It's difficult to navigate. It's difficult to be able to get ourselves to the point of fighting even if it feels and seems hard. 
But we've got to try with everything that we have. I've got to lean on God. I've got to see Him rightly. I've got to start with Him, keep Him in the middle, end with Him. It's got to be all about God. And when I read scriptures, it won't seem like it's too far-fetched because it's not about how well I do, how good I am. It is completely and solely about Him. Because of Jesus, you and I are righteous. But we are also still being made righteous. Where you fall short, he's still at Romans 8.28. God, he can work it. All things for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. So wherever you are, friend, I say get up. Because he's that good. His kindness, gentleness, and mercy is that true. If you're struggling, lean on a friend. If you're battling with something that seems uh, above your capacity and capability, I say bring it into the light. If you feel like you're not good enough or you're not worthy of his love and his grace, ask him to show himself to you as loving and gracious. get up and walk God is that good and he absolutely and completely loves you and watch as you navigate this thing you'll see him so differently going forward it's like you're falling in love with him all over again God doesn't keep getting better and better we just see him better and better He is what he is. Won't you stand? Won't you close your eyes and I'm going to pray for us real quick. feel like I need to reiterate this point that your journey won't be perfect but man don't let it keep you down Father I pray that in this moment that by the power of your Holy Spirit you would begin to open up our spiritual eyes so we can see you as good see you as gentle see you as kind see you as merciful, see you as gracious, see you as he who is loving. Your compassions, Dad, never fail. May that truth ring so deeply in our souls that we can keep walking. No matter how much we stumble, how much we fall, we can keep moving towards you, however imperfectly. I pray that we've disqualified ourselves and, not, and let a lie begin to sink into our, our thinking and into our psyche that you would begin to speak truth right now by your spirit. Remind us, Father, that we are yours, that because of your son, we are yours. 
that because of Jesus, you have made us righteous. By your grace, Dad, won't you continue to work deep in our souls and in our hearts? Give us a boldness, a courage to meet each season knowing that you are with us and you will never leave nor forsake us. Rekindle that awe and that one day in our eyes. That when we see you, it'll give us a strength that we never had before. When we spend time with you, it will re-energize our souls, reinvigorate our hearts, that we can walk and run with the hop in our step because of who you are to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, don't rush off. If you'd like some prayer, please come up to the front. But there's tea and coffee outside. See you out there.